Hello, church. We're coming to you from our living room today, and I'm excited about the four points of the cross this message series. I hope you enjoyed it last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to this message. It's a great, great message. So as we look at this, last week I talked about the south end of the cross. The reason I, I preached this message was because I had gone to a camp in Arizona, and I'd taken the youth there, and there was a young theologian that we were excited about his teaching. I didn't know much about him, and he began to belittle one of our kids in the youth group for wearing this necklace, which is a cross, and basically he said, that cross that you wear around your neck is nothing more than a couple of sticks that are glued together. Well, that's a problem. It's a big problem. As a matter of fact, in his theology, he said, it's more important to pay attention to what Jesus taught than what he did. And without the cross, we don't have the Savior for the world and the redemption of the world without the cross, the Savior for our sins. And I want us to look at the importance of the cross, the importance of the tree, just kind of recap some of last week and then go into to looking at not just the south end of the cross, but today I want to talk about the east and west points of the cross. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Remember, it's important to know that there are two trees in this garden. And, and these trees represent one good and evil, the other is a tree of life. Isn't it good to note? <laughs> I almost said, isn't it funny? It's not funny, but isn't it good to note that that a serpent would come in and actually deceive and have them eat from the tree of good and evil. You see, they were deceived into thinking that knowing was better than experiencing. That's an important statement for us, church and kids. Knowing can never, can never uh, be replaced with just learning and experiencing. We have, to, we have to know God, but we also need to experience God. They wanted to experience life, but they thought rather than going to the tree of life, they were deceived and they ate from the tree of knowledge. And so sin entered the world through a tree, a tree that produced a forbidden fruit, a fruit that was chosen by the human race. The Lord said, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God did not want this to be our eternal state. And, and he kicked man, if you will, out of the garden. Now, when I say that, let me say this, that I believe it's from God's mercy it wasn't a point of judgment. God's mercy, he moved man out of the garden. And here's why. Genesis 3.22, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing both good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden. You see, out of God's mercy, out of his grace, out of his love for each one of us, he moved the man out so that man wouldn't take and eat from the tree of life and remain in that place for eternity, that place of sin, that place of death. And so he moved him out. And that's God's mercy for us. 
Genesis is the first book of the Torah, but Deuteronomy is the last, and we find something else about the tree. Now, I have a cross behind me, and this cross right here is made from a cedar, a cedar tree. And it's not from the Holy Land, of course, it's from this land, which is somewhat holy to me. But last week we talked about this part being the stipes and this part intersecting the ground, intersecting that sin, going down deep, intersecting this world. That you could not sin beyond what God's grace and mercy can come down and redeem. That God truly intersected and it looks like a cross uh, or it looks like a sword if, if you were to just stab it in the ground. And to me, that's how God intersected this world for us. On into Deuteronomy, we, we see the last book of the Torah and how the tree was actually a place of condemnation. It was a place of cursing. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22, I'll let you get there. And so Deuteronomy 21, 22, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day for he who is hanged is accursed of God so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God, the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. There is no doubt in the Old Testament, we see several who are hung on a tree. If you remember Joshua, he takes the Canaanite kings and, and he hangs them after he kills them in front of their gates of their city. And the reason they did this, it was to say that anyone who was behind the city gates who had supported that king and they were hung, that not only was the king himself accursed, but all the people who followed that king was accursed as well. So Paul takes it further in Galatians. This is the way he says it in the New Testament. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The cross intersected this world to rescue those who would be condemned, to redeem those who were lost, to despise its shame. The south end of the cross represents the cross intersecting our sin. The curse said, as surely as you eat of this, you will die. The Apostle Paul states, sin is in our members, meaning this, that sin is, sin is just, just in our members. And we're reminded in Genesis chapter 2 that, that our bodies go where? Back where? You kids remember? Ashes to ashes and what? Dust to dust. That we, that we return back to the ground. So that almost states that sin would almost be in the ground. And so when the cross intersected the ground, it intersected the graves and, and he brought us up out of that grave and restored us into right relationship with God the Father. What a powerful thing this cross has done, Jesus going to the cross for us. There's no doubt that what we see on a tree has brought blessing instead of cursing to us. See, the ground is full of sin, and the cross, regardless of the depth of the sin, it went deeper. The stipes, that's, that's this part, that's the vertical part of the cross. That's what it's known as. That end of the cross went far below the deepest of sin. Now we're going to talk about the horizontal part of the cross. This is known as the patibulum, this part right here. And the patibulum, uh, one end points to the east and the other points to the west. 
And there's some great things to know about the east and the west. The sun comes up where? In the east, good. And the sun goes down where? In the west, right? And so the outstretched arms of Jesus carried this patibulum. And I know I've said many times that the patibulum, it would have weighed and been, been very heavy, but it was probably the part of the cross that Jesus carried up to the Mount of Calvary. And if you remember, as his outstretched arms went up, they were tied to that patibulum. And what we should see from that is that his love for us reaches from the east to the very west, that his arms are wide enough to embrace even the worst of sinners that he looks to wrap his arms around each one of us. It's heavy, it's burdensome, it's the weight of the world. The oppression of sin fell on that part of the cross, if you will, the oppression of the enemy. Some of you know how this feels to some degree. You felt the oppression of the world. Simon of Cyrene would be pressed into service in Mark chapter 15, pressed into service to carry the cross. And it's a great example that we too in this life will have crosses to bear. And as we bear those crosses, we must remember God's strength, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that his arms are outstretched awaiting us. You know, his arms are waiting upon us to come to him. As I look at, at this part of the cross, the patibulum, I'm reminded of his love, that he first loved me. The scripture tells us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves his love for us. So let me talk about his love for just a moment. In the outstretched arms of Jesus, once again, we see his love and we are reminded of God's mercy for us. You know, it may not have looked like God's mercy when man was somewhat removed out of the garden, but God did not want man to stay in a state of sin. And, and now, as we look at Jesus going to a cross and bleeding and bleeding out as the lamb who was, who was sacrificed for the sake of the world, it, 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 we may not see that mercy at that moment, but his mercy is that he saw beyond that cross and he saw us while we were yet sinners, he died for us. See, when the weight of the world was upon him, his words to us, we see in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, is what he says. Come to me. Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The patibulum wasn't light, but what Jesus comes with is light because he's already carried it for us, and we've got to remember that. You see, every time we see the east and the west points of the cross, it should remind us of his love. His open arms are wide for you, and they're wide for me. Psalm 103, 12 puts it this way, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions or our sins from us. In Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember not your sins, for I will forgive their iniquities, and I, re I will remember their sins no more. And what does that cause us to do? Well, it should, as we look at the cross and we understand the outstretched arms of Jesus, what it should do, kids, is it should help us to understand that we should love him in return. 
See, the patibulum reminds us that we too should love. We are to be connected, connected upward, connected inward to Jesus, and connected outward. It's not just enough to know. In, in John chapter 6, what we find there, John chapter 5, verse 39, and I don't have this written down, but this is just some information for you. But Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you find salvation. But it is me, it is me whom they should be pointing you to. And so as we think of that, we should see Christ's love. It would be a terrible thing to know everything about him and never experience him. And what we see through the cross is that he came to this life to experience this life for us. That he gave himself that we too would learn to love as he loved. We too would stay connected with him. The ability to let our love shine before men so that they could see our good deeds and give glory to our heavenly father. It's difficult to do this on a lot of levels. I mean, if we're honest in here, it's hard to love some, some people. It's just difficult to love some people. But Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, there's something different about, here, about this that I want you to see. He didn't say if you have something against your brother. What does he say? Well, he says if your brother has something against you, right? And so he puts it differently. And the only way we can love like that is to have God's love. And the way that we understand God's love is to learn about God and learn to walk with Jesus, his son. When we see the cross, we should see the cross as a place of love, a place where God intersected this world because he first loved us. And he didn't want us to stay in the state of sin or the state of condemnation, and he doesn't today. He invites us to come and be a part of him. And those of us who are, he teaches us how to love differently. Now listen to, to this scripture again. And pay attention to, to what he commands. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. He doesn't say, and there remember that you have something against your brother. Says, if your brother has something against you, that means that you begin to be the initiator of God's love. In a world that is broken, in a world that tries to condemn, in a world that, that hurts you, that makes fun of you oftentimes, that mocks you, that will mock the very cross that we wear around our, our necks. Sometimes we hold things against them. And Jesus said, go to them because they're holding something against you. Go and have that conversation. Now, he uses the word brother here. And of course, he's talking about those who are believers. That's far more dangerous because in order for us to be a witness to the world, we need to show the world that we're unified, that we walk in unity, that we are followers of Jesus and Christ in this way. So Jesus tells us, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do what you can. If I were to ask you kids, if you had somebody that might be angry with you at school, you might have somebody angry with you uh, at church. You might have somebody angry with you um, a friend at a, at a playground or whatever you guys do, right, in your dance studio, in your piano studio, if you've done, say, in your choir, in your band, uh, at some point in time, you know that, that there's someone who's talked about you, who's mocked you for some reason. And if they're a believer, Jesus said, hey, uh, you know, you're not to harbor that, but that you go to them. 
When we see the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross, we are reminded that he came to us. And there were, there were men, there were Jews, there were Pharisees, Sadducees, religious scribes, prophets that, that knew a Messiah was coming, and yet they harbored things against Jesus when he stood there in their midst, and Jesus first went to them. The Scripture says he first went to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. So that's how we learn how, how to walk our faith out is by walking with him. And the cross is a reminder. It's a great branding. The best branding that's ever been done in the world is the branding of the cross that reminds us Christians to walk in unity in God's love and in his forgiveness. You see, your cross more than likely isn't the, difficult, isn't the difficulty of this life. In other words, your cross is probably deals more with people than it does with burdens in life. A lot of times, people become our burdens. And, and what I'm trying to say here is all of us have people in our lives that have done us wrong. They owe us something. They are a burden. Or they are that crazy person at every family reunion. You know who that is. But Hebrews 12 says this, Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We were the joy, but the sin within us had to be atoned for. So for God so loved the world that he gave us his son, we too have a great responsibility to one another. Every time we look at this horizontal piece, we need to think of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to think that we are called to go to them. And we are also called to go to those who are not yet believers and help them learn who Jesus is, that he loved them enough to embrace them if they would simply come to him. We need to love and forgive. We need to learn what it means to embrace. And the cross, the patibulum, should remind us each day of what that is. You know, the east point of the cross, as I said, reminds us of a new day. It's a new dawn. It's a new era for the church. It's unusual for me to preach and teach here at home like this, behind a stand and with my notes, it's easier for me just to open the Bible and read to you kids. But because of where we are in our day and time and because of the pandemic, we have to be reminded each day that as the sun comes up, it is God's love pointing to the east. The cross points to that east and says, hey, I've got this. And as the sun sets and we see that beautiful reflection of God's faithfulness through the day, it's a reminder that he's taking us through every day that God is with us and he will sustain us. The cross reminds us of his love from the east to the west, his love for us as his church. So I'm here to ask you a question today, church. Where are you today? Do you hold anything against a brother or a sister? Are the pressures of this world, the tragedies and burdens, becoming too much? I want you to look at the cross and just let it be a reminder that his love and his mercy, it endures forever. You know, there was a hymn that was penned by a man by the name of George Bernard, and I sung this growing up. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me, for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross, Till my trophies, at last I lay down. I will cling 
to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown.